0: Well, hey, if you're new to our church, my name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor of this church and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. And I wanna let you know right now, like I struggle with things still as a Christian, Like I struggle. Uh, I struggle with uh, anger sometimes, I struggle with wanting people's approval. I struggle as a Cardinals fan, I just struggle. <laughs> And so I'm really excited for this new series today. It's called The Road to Recovery. And I really feel like this is what God has for us, especially with this year and the coronavirus situation. We know that nationwide alcohol sales have spiked, Issues of domestic violence have spiked. Pornography use have spiked. Abuse has spiked. A lot of people are struggling. And what this pandemic has done is just reveal a problem that we all know exists, that we live our lives and we experience hurt. Hurt comes from things like family dysfunction or social injustice or abuse. And hurt, when you don't deal with it, can lead to hang-ups. Hang-ups can be things like anger issues and insecurity and people-pleasing. Um, and if you don't deal with your hang-ups, that can lead to bad destructive habits. Habits is what we usually think of when we talk about recovery. So we have an amazing program at our church called Celebrate Recovery. And it meets in Mesa on Tuesday and in Ahwatukee on Friday. And if you're out of state online right now, I wanna encourage you to find a Celebrate Recovery ministry near you. There's over 30,000 churches that have Celebrate Recovery. It started in California out of Saddleback Church with Rick Warren and John Baker. Now meets all over the globe, 30,000 churches, and it's a great ministry. Here's why I love it. I love it first because it's all based on the actual words of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of 12-step recovery programs, but Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered recovery program. And the principles of Celebrate Recovery come right out of God's word in Matthew chapter five and the B attitudes. So that's really important, the fact that it's based on the words of Jesus. I also love that it emphasizes personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. We don't blame other people for our struggles. You know how you spell blame? Be lame. And when you blame people, you're being lame, right? Don't do it. I love Celebrate Recovery because it helps us to grow and heal in small groups, in community. There are 58, 58 one another commands in the New Testament, like love one another, help one another, greet one another, encourage one another. And so sometimes people tell me, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And I'm like, you're right. You don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You just need to go to church to obey God as a Christian and do what the Bible describes. And, and it's in community that we experience growth and healing. That's why you can go to one-on-one therapy for 50 years and never actually get any closer to the goal. It says in James chapter five, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You're like, well, I thought I only had to confess to God. Or maybe some of you, you know, you grew up confessing to a priest. Well, you know, if you confess to God, you will definitely find forgiveness. But when you confess to each other, look what it says. You experience healing. Not everyone, but find some safe people who you can trust that you can confess to, and God will use that. And I love that Celebrate Recovery is forward-looking. It's forward-focused. Think about the past. The people in your past who hurt you cannot hurt you in your future without your permission. Without your permission. The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. But guess what? There's a difference between mourning and moaning. And God doesn't want you to wallow in moaning, stuck in the past. He meets you right where you're at, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He helps you move forward into the future. God is a lot more interested in where you're going than where you have been. He wants you to experience victory. So some people go to celebrate recovery every single week forever, and that's great. Other people go for a little while, And that's great. Some of you might never go, and I'm not trying to force you to go, but I think you'll learn some things through this series about how God wants to help you to recover from the effects of sin. I love that in Celebrate Recovery, we don't say, we don't say, I'm Ryan and I'm an alcoholic. We say, I'm a believer in Jesus who struggles with alcoholism, right? That's because we know as Christians, our identity isn't found in our struggles. Our identity is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ and the fact that you are a child of God. Yes, you might still struggle, but you're a Christian. That's who you are. You're a follower of Jesus and a child of God and your struggles don't define you. So what do you need recovery from? I just want to throw it out there. And I'm not one of those people that's always going around trying to tell everyone, you know, like, you've got some problem. I know it's there, right? Like, it's okay if you're okay. Like you can be okay. But, but oftentimes we do struggle with different things. There are things like alcohol and drugs, but only one third of the people that go to celebrate recovery are there for chemical dependency issues. Uh, but also think about other things like overworking, overeating, overspending. We deal with issues because of grief or guilt. We deal with anger or anxiety. Maybe you're struggling because of a divorce Maybe you struggle with sexual addiction or pornography or sexual abuse that you experience, codependency and people pleasing, insecurity. Maybe you've got a gambling addiction or you struggle with lying. You don't even know why you lie, you just do. It's the first thing that comes out of your I don't know. Or controlling people, you struggle. We struggle with different types of things and most of us have been there at one point or another struggling for different reasons. I heard a story about a dad who wanted to take a nap on a Sunday afternoon. But his son was there in the living room, kind of bothering him, you know, dad, I'm bored, dad, I'm bored. And so the dad wanted to buy himself some time. So he ripped a page out of a magazine and the page had a picture of a globe on it. And he tore the the globe up into 50 little pieces and gave his son some tape. And he said, "Okay, son, I made you a puzzle. I want you to put this globe back together. And he figured while he does that, I can take a nap. But his son woke him up like 15 minutes later and said, dad, I did it. And he's like, what? How could you have done it so quick? He knew his son didn't know geography that well. So how did you do that? And he said, dad, on the backside of that page, there was a picture of a person. So I just put my person together. And when I did, the world looked just fine. You know that God wants to help you experience healing. And when your person is healed, your world looks a whole lot better. In Isaiah 57, verse 18, God says, I have seen how they acted, but I will heal them. I will lead them and help them, and I will comfort those who mourn. I offer peace to all near and far. This passage kind of describes the five ways that God helps us to recover. He says, if you've been hurt, I want to heal you. If you're confused, I want to lead you. If you feel helpless to change, I want to help you to change. If you feel like no one understands you and the things that you struggle with, he says, I want to comfort you. If you're wrestling with anxiety and fear, I want to give you peace. So I'm talking about the road to recovery, and the word recovery, it's an acrostic, it spells some things out. So tonight we're going to go through the first two steps. The first step is this Realize I'm not God. I admit. I am powerless to control my tendency to do wrong things and my life is unmanageable. If you're taking notes, you could write this down. You got to realize I'm not God. I admit I'm powerless to control my tendency to do wrong things and my life is unmanageable. Now, some people would see that and they'd go, okay, that's a little bit extreme. I don't know about unmanageable. I don't know about I'm powerless, but think about it. Think about some of the things that we struggle with. Just Just like the little things. Like, do you ever stay up too late even when you know you have to get up early the next day? Do you ever eat more calories than your body needs? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Are you ever selfish when you know you should be generous? Do you ever lay on the couch when you know you should exercise? Do you ever try to control people even though you know you can't and it hurts the relationship? Like, we all do things even though we know We shouldn't. If your answer is yes to any of those questions, welcome to the human race. You're a human. That's what that means. It goes all the way back to the very first humans, Adam and Eve, God created them. He put them in paradise where there was no problems. There was no hurt. They hadn't been traumatized by anyone. They had no one else to blame for their issues. Here's what God said. You're in paradise. It's wonderful. I just have one rule. There's one tree. I don't want you to touch it. What did they do? They touched it. It went right for it, like a beeline. You know, I think like my little baby daughter, she'll, she'll go to touch things sometimes. We're like, Lila, no. And she just looks at you like, what are you going to do, right? And I, I think Adam and Eve were probably doing the same thing. It's funny. And ever since that happened, sin entered the world and sin affects everything. Sin is why we have natural disasters, it's why people die, it's why people get sick, it's why people do bad things, because we have a sinful nature. It's part of who we are, and even when we become Christians, we still struggle with our sinful nature. It kind of cracks me up, because the world says, people are basically good. Like uh, You've probably met people who say this, like, I believe that people are basically good. (laughs) They just do bad things sometimes, right? Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says people are basically bad. They just do good things sometimes. (laughs) Like even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. We're bad. We just happen to do good things sometimes. And and this really is a biblical principle. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 7, 15, we see the uh, effects of that. The apostle Paul says, I don't really understand myself. Anyone else? For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Like, I know I need to do that. I really need to do that, but I keep avoiding it. I know I shouldn't do that. That was bad. I should not do that again. And yet I'm doing it again. Why? Because we have a sinful nature and it affects everything that we do. And it's honestly something that you might struggle with until you see Jesus face to face. I want to help you understand this, the cause of your problems, the cause of your problems really boil down to this. I want to be God. All of your problems really boil down to, I want to be God. It's simple, like I just want to control everything. That's not too much to ask, is it? And maybe you wonder like, what does that look like? How do we play God? Think about like, you want to be your own boss. You don't want anyone telling you what to do. You want to be in control. How do we play God? We try to control. We try to control our image and how people perceive us. So we're very careful about our public image. You know, that's why some of you, you don't want anyone to know when you're struggling. You want to stay, you know, strong and dignified and look like you have it all together and put a smile on your face. You know, you see your friends at Life Group and they're like, oh, hey, how are you doing? How's your week been? And even if you're dying inside, you just put a smile on, you know, (laughs) fine, I'm fine, fine. Maybe on Instagram, you, you know, you portray that you're fine and, and then in private, you're hurting and you're, you're, you're really broken. That's because you're trying to control your image and the way people see you. Oftentimes, because you're afraid if they know that you're struggling, they won't like you. But actually, when people know you're struggling, it only helps them relate to you. It's true. It's true. We try to control our image. We try to control other people. Parents try to control their kids. Spouses try to control each other through manipulation and guilt trips and angry outbursts, sometimes the silent treatment. The thing is, you can't control people, but we think, you know, if I could just get everyone to do what I want, then I'll be happy. It's, it's not too much to ask, is it? We try to control our problems. Even when you have a real problem, you might take this attitude like, well, I've got this, I can handle it. I can fix it, especially some of you guys. I know some of you guys, you're like very independent. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna handle it. I don't need your help, I can handle it. If I don't know what to do, I'll I'll watch a YouTube tutorial. I won't tell anyone I did that, but then I'll fix it myself. And we try to control our pain. Instead of letting God heal it, we try to escape it and avoid it and minimize it and reduce it and postpone dealing with it. And sometimes we even try to numb it temporarily with substance or, or food or sex, but it doesn't work. There are consequences to playing God. What are the consequences to playing God? Here they are, first one's fear. When you try to take control of your life, when you hold on to control, inside you know deep down, this is not gonna work out well. It's scary. That's why godless people without faith are some of the most fearful people you'll ever meet. Because they really think it's up to them to make the world okay. It leads to uh, frustration. It's frustrating uh, trying to be the general manager of the universe. I think it's like the whack-a-mole game at Chuck E. Cheese. You, know, you, you take care of one problem, another one pops up, and then another one pops up. It's frustrating, which leads to fatigue. It's exhausting. It's exhausting trying to maintain control of your life. And think about Psalm 32. David said, my strength evaporated like water on a hot summer day until I confessed my sins and stopped trying to hide them. And ultimately leads to failure. Being God is one job you will always fail at. (laughs) And I'm telling you this because I love you and I want you to to be successful, right? But our problems are oftentimes worse than we think they are, if I'm being honest. I know some people, you might be sitting here right now and you're like, this is good you're doing this sermon series, Pastor Ryan. There are some people who really need this. Not me. I mean, my problems aren't that bad, but there are people around that probably, that probably, and maybe that's true. Like maybe you don't have any issues today, uh, but it could be that some of you, God wants to help you with some things through this series. Uh, maybe God's trying to get your attention. Sometimes we live in denial. That's why I wore my Celebrate Recovery shirt today. It says straight out of denial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We live in God uses some tools to bust us out of denial. The first one is crisis. You know, when stress rises, maybe in the middle of, I don't know, a pandemic, uh, it tends to bring our problems to the surface. And that, that's something God can use to get our attention. Like, hey, you've got a problem here. Or confrontation. Sometimes people confront us, you know, like, hey, you're a workaholic. Hey, you're an alcoholic. There's an old saying in Texas. If one person calls you a horse's rear end, just ignore them. If two people call you a horse's rear end, look in the mirror. If three people call you a horse's rear end, buy a saddle. (laughs) If three people tell you you're an alcoholic, buy a saddle. If three people tell you you need help, you probably need help. God also uses catastrophe. And unfortunately, that's where our problems take us sometimes. When you don't deal with it, it can lead to rock bottom. Like maybe you actually lost your job A spouse actually leaves. Kids stop talking to you. Maybe you got a DUI. It's catastrophe. It's the pain that we experience through our problems that God often uses to actually help us change. Some people won't change until they experience pain. Anybody else relate to that? I had to learn the hard way instead of the easy way. You don't need to learn the hard way, church. Learn the easy way. But don't think that God doesn't let people hit rock bottom sometimes. He does because he loves them. And he knows that when you finally hit rock bottom, that's when you learn you've got to build your life on Christ the solid rock, right? And and so that's some of the things that God does to get our attention, like a fire alarm warning us that there's something wrong in our lives. So maybe you've come to a crisis or been confronted with some of your struggles recently. Maybe you're ready to admit like, I make a bad God. Anybody else tonight? You know, I make a bad God. Amen? We can all agree on that. I I need help, but that's a good place to be, admitting that. Matthew 5, verse 3. Happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. You're blessed, Jesus says, when you know you're spiritually bankrupt. When you know spiritually you can't save yourself. When you know spiritually you need God's assistance. That's when he can really help you and do great things in your life. The solution to trying to play God is to admit that you're actually powerless to handle your own problems. You're powerless to change the past and all the resentment and bitterness in the world isn't going to change what someone did to you. You're powerless to control other people as much as you might think that could make life easier, you cannot manipulate other people into doing what you want. That doesn't lead anywhere good. You've gotta just be responsible for your own choices. And honestly, oftentimes we're powerless to cope with or change harmful habits and behaviors. You might have good intentions, but that's not enough. You might think willpower is the answer, but that's not gonna get you there. And so some of you might be here tonight struggling with hurts or habits or hang-ups, and maybe it brings up emotions and you think about some of the things you struggle with, maybe it makes you sad, but I want you to know there's good news. Happy are those who mourn, God will comfort them. That's what Jesus says, God will comfort you. So I wanna talk about how he does that. Here's the second step. First, we talked about admitting we're not God, but now I want you to think about this. Earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. The first step is about realizing I'm not God and I'm powerless. The second step is finding the solution. The solution is that God exists, He cares about you. And he does have the power to help you recover. So there's good news here. In Hebrews 11:6, six, it says, anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So first you gotta believe God exists, okay? I know that sounds basic. I'm preaching to the choir right now, but you'd be surprised. 87% of Americans say they believe in God. Now, I don't necessarily think they live like they believe in God, but they believe. It's hard to deny his existence. And the more that science discovers, the harder it is to deny the existence of God. It's a complete fallacy to think that science undermines our faith. I love when science makes discovery because the more the science discovers, it bolsters and strengthens our faith. With computers that we have today that humanity didn't even have just a couple decades ago, these computers can determine the odds mathematically that our universe came into existence the way it is by chance. Those odds are so minuscule as to be laughable. And it's actually because of this that many physicists and scientists have become believers in God. Because they know this could not have happened by chance. There is design here, so there must be a designer. This creation requires a creator. In Romans chapter one, verse 20, it says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. It's through everything God has made that you can see his qualities, right? Like you look at how beautiful the world is and you can just tell what God's like. Like, man, God loves beauty. God's creative. And you look around at the stars and the sky and the ecosystem that we live in and how complex the human body is and our DNA and our genetics and, and how everything works. And you go, man, there's got to be a God, even if you lived on a desert island in the middle of the ocean and there was no generation church there, God help you, you would still in your soul know there's a God. God is saying that no one is gonna stand before me and have an excuse for not knowing me. Because he said you could see creation. You could see that there has to be someone behind this. Now, I think it's normal for everyone to wrestle with doubt. If you've ever had doubt, don't feel bad about that. I think everyone has asked themselves at one point, like, well, how do I know there's a God? What if he's not there? That's normal. So no guilt trip about that, okay? It's a whole nother thing to deny his existence. In Psalm 14, verse one, it says this, only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. <laughs> I laugh when I read this because you know, I've had some atheist friends over the years and they're always so smug. And they always look down their noses on Christians like, oh, you Christians are so dumb. Believing in a God. <laughs> and then they, they so confidently declare, there is no God. And they think they're so smart. But what does the Bible say about that? It's foolish. The real question isn't, does God exist? I think that that's a given for most people. The real question is, what is God like? Who is he? What's he like? That's what we really need to know. Because until you really know what God is like, you won't trust him. You can't trust someone you don't know. God wants us to know what he's like. And that's something that we need to realize. A lot of people have misperceptions about what God is like. Maybe they, they learned about God from, I don't know, a movie, a book, Or or What's more common is people, they project onto God their past experiences with their own parents. If their parents were distant and unloving, they assume, well, God's out there, but he doesn't really care about me. If their parents were critical and judgmental, they assume God must be tragically disappointed with me. If their parents were abusive and angry, they think they have to fear God. Don't make this mistake. Don't project onto God your pain that you've experienced with maybe parents. God is so much better than anything you can possibly understand. He is good. His character is perfect. Don't make God in your own image. Understand that God has created you in his image. As a pastor, sometimes I hear people say, you know, I, I couldn't believe in a God who does that. I don't wanna believe in a God who would do that. And I I just want you to understand, and I always wanna say to these people, like your opinion about who God should be doesn't matter. And God is not dependent upon your approval for his existence because he's not a figment of your imagination. He is who he is, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, he's only good. He's good and he wants you to know what he's really like. And the more that you know him, the more you're going to love him because he's so much better than you can possibly imagine. He wanted you to know him so much that he came to earth about 2000 years ago in human form, in the form of a human being. In Colossians 115, it says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. I'm sure you've wondered like, well, if God's out there and he wants us to know him, why why is he invisible? It'd be so much easier if I could like, you know, see him and, and, and read about him and, and get to know him, but he made it possible for you to do that. That's why Jesus came into this world. That's why we celebrate Christmas, not just because we like presents and Santa Claus, but because it helps us to learn about God. The fact that Jesus came into this world, he is the manifested love of God in this world. That's how we learn who God is. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, and you can learn about God. And that's what helps you get over your hurts and hang-ups and bad habits. You gotta know this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down first. God knows all about my situation. <laughs> God knows all about my situation. Maybe you've struggled with some things, and you're like, no one understands what I'm going through. No one knows what I've been through. I want you to know that God knows. He does know, and he says in his word, He says this in Psalm 56, you keep track of all my sorrows. Talking about God, you have collected all my tears in your bottle. That sounds like an in-sync song. You have (laughs) recorded each one in your book. You're like, no one knows what I've been through. God does. He's kept a record of every sorrow. He knows every single thing that you have been through. God knows what you're struggling with. He knows when you've been depressed. He knows the bad habits you are trying to break. He knows the hell that you've been through, and he cares. It says in Psalm 69, Oh God, you know how foolish I am. My sins cannot be hidden from you. Some of us think, you know, like, man, I don't want God to know what I'm up to. <laughs> I got bad news. <laughs> he knows <laughs> My sins cannot be hidden from you. He is there 24 hours a day. He knows what you're up to, good, bad, and the ugly. And the amazing thing is he still loves you. He still loves you. God is not shocked by your sin. He doesn't freak out when you mess up. Oh no, what am I gonna do? I had great plans for her life and she ruined them. Like, that's not how it works. He knew it was coming long before you did. He even knows why you did what you did, even when you don't know. He's not shocked. He's not surprised when you sin. He's not even disappointed because his acceptance of you already had your failures factored in. He knows about your situation. Here's the next thing. God cares about my situation. It'd be one thing if he just knew but didn't care, but he doesn't just know, he also cares. In Psalm 103, it says this. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. That means like respect him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. He created us out of the dust. What are you made of? Molecules. You're made, you're made of dust. You, you are formed from the dust. You're weak. You're fragile. God knows he was there. He created you. He knows you're not superhuman. And so that makes him compassionate towards your struggles. When you struggle, he's compassionate. Towards that, he feels sympathy for our frailty. And in Jeremiah 31, verse three, God says, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. So much of our hurt comes from people not loving you the right way. Not loving you the right way, but God's love is unconditional, and it's everlasting. It never fails. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus for you. It says in Romans 5.8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And I want you to notice this. While we were still sinners... So it wasn't like God made it possible for you to be saved. It wasn't like he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you after you started going to church and got baptized and got your life together and stopped looking at things you shouldn't look at and partying on the weekends and sleeping with people. No, when you were still a sinner, when you were ignoring God and breaking his commands, when you were defying his authority, he sent Jesus to die for you then. Then. Who would do that? God, because He loves you so much, He knows about your power, your problems, and He cares. And this is so important because uh, celebrate recovery is a twelve-step program, but our higher power is only Jesus Christ. It's only Jesus. It's almost it's it's almost uh, funny to me because other twelve-step programs have higher powers, like they say, you know, you got to have a higher power, which cracks me up because it's like. You don't believe in God sometimes, but you still feel like you need to have a higher power. It's almost like people inherently know deep down, I can't do it on my own. Christians are the only people on earth with a higher power who can actually help them. We're the only people who have a higher power who actually has power. (laughs) So, God knows about your situation. He cares about your situation. And that brings us to the third one God can change me and my situation. He can actually change me and my situation. I know maybe some people are thinking, you know, I know I need to change, but I just can't seem to do it. I know I got to make some some things different in my life, but but I always get started and then I, I fall apart with it. You know, a lot of people try to change themselves and they fail. So, that's really a sign that we need God's help. Luke 18, verse 27, Jesus answered, what is humanly impossible is possible for God. There are some struggles and problems that would be humanly impossible for you to overcome on your own. But there's good news, good news. God says, I've got the power that you need. I've got the power you need to break bad habits. I've got the power you need to overcome addiction. I've got the power you need to heal from hurts. You're like, well, well, how powerful is he? He was powerful enough to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. No one else has ever raised from the dead. That was to prove God's power. If he can raise Jesus from the dead, he can raise a dead relationship back to life. He can restore mental health. He can give you confidence again. He can help you live in victory and in freedom. He's got the power. God can change you and he can change your situation. Sometimes he changes me. Sometimes he changes the situation, sometimes both. However he does it, he's got the power. It's available to those who would receive it. So if you've got some issues or some struggles that you're dealing with, it's time to let God help you with that. The longer you postpone dealing with these problems and pain, the further away from recovery you'll be. The longer you wait, the less days you have on this earth to be who God meant you to be. Some people, they get so stuck in the past and what happened in the past. It'd be like trying to drive a car, looking at the rearview mirror the whole time. That's not a good way to drive, is it? I mean, it's good to have a rear view mirror. It gives you some perspective about where you came from, but you need your windshield to be a lot bigger than your rear view mirror, right? That's what spiritual growth is. It shrinks your rear view mirror helps you to stop living in the past and expands your windshield so you can focus more on where God's taking you than where you've come from. He cares about where you've come from. He takes your past pain and he promises to use it for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, but he knows that your future is gonna be so much better than your past. And he wants you focused on what's ahead of you. How is this possible? You gotta acknowledge God exists, understand that he cares about you, that he loves you, and that he wants to help you. It says in Philippians two, verse 13, for God is at work within you, giving the will and the power to achieve his purpose. He gives you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. God says, your willpower isn't enough. You need God's will and God's power to to change. Some people think, I don't even know if I wanna change. (laughs) Thank you for being honest. So you've got to pray, God, I'm willing for you to make me willing to change, (laughs) right? I don't even know if I want to change. Well, sometimes you won't want to change until your pain exceeds your fear of change. The Bible tells us that when you accept Jesus Christ into your life, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And the spirit that God gives fills us with power and love and self-control power and love and self-control. That's what we need in our lives, church. We need God's power. We need the power of God to break bad habits and to do things that we know are right but can't seem to do on our own. We need God's power to break free from the past and say goodbye to painful memories. We need God's power to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. We need God's power and then we need love. I want God's love. Don't you want God's love? I mean, so many people, they spend their whole lives searching for love and they find that that any other love other than what comes from God oftentimes will lead you disappointed and feeling emptier than when... You even started, but we need God's love. God's love, his love is perfect and it's unfailing. And that allows us to to stop putting up walls in relationships, right? People put up these walls and and that prevents them from experiencing real intimacy. But when you experience God's love, you can have real healthy relationships with other people. And you don't have to rely on other people to fulfill your desire for unconditional love because you get that from God. How do you receive God's love and power and self-control? First, you just believe. You believe that he exists and that he cares about you and that he has the power to help you change. And then you receive him into your life. You say, God, I, I want you. And you got to say a certain four-letter word. I'm going to encourage you to say this four-letter word, help. <laughs> you receive Jesus into your life by saying, God, I need your help. Like, I can't do this on my own. I can't overcome sin on my own. I can't save myself. I can't better myself through other religions or good works. Like I need your help to save me and forgive me and set me free. And if you're wrestling with problems, you say, God, I need your help to break these bad habits and these things that I'm struggling with. And when you do that, God is good. He is faithful. He already wants to help you. He just wants you to open the door to him and let him in to your life. So let's let's do this. Let's bow our heads for a moment, just a prayer. And if you're in the room in Mesa right now or if you're with us online, maybe you have never received Jesus into your life. Maybe you've never accepted him as your king, as your Lord, as your savior. Or maybe you once had some kind of experience with God but then you've been maybe running from him for a long time this could be the most important moment of your life, to accept Jesus, to believe in him, that he's God's son, that he came to this world and lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose again so that you could have everlasting life and victory. When you believe that and then you receive him, you say, God, I want you to come into my life, I need your help, I receive you, that's when you experience salvation. You experience forgiveness of sin. You are adopted into God's family and because you become his child. And that's when you experience God's power and love in the way that he wants you to. So maybe you're here with us and you're ready for that tonight. Just pray this with me. Say, God, help, I need you. I need your forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died on the cross for my sins so I could be forgiven. I believe that he rose again so I could have eternal life. I believe in Jesus and I receive him into my life. I need him to save me, and I accept him. I want to live for Jesus from this day forward, and I thank you for loving me and leading me. Amen.